Privacy.com, the company's officers trust with their online privacy. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired crime stopper sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix police officer Jason Checkerly. And we have another stellar show. I know we say each time, but it's true each yeah. time. We have retired homicide detective Bill Hansen. He's going to talk about a case, sadly, a case too close to home. And then in the second topic, we have our cop talk. And sadly, we have another police shooting. This one, an outright mistake in, in, in the greater Minneapolis area. We'll be talking about that. And uh, Jason, let's just say he has some choice words about this topic. Yeah, I'm going to warn people right now, if you don't really like bad words and <laughs> when i get fired up you have plenty of they warning. come out after our awesome first guest which it's going to be emotional it's going to be an incredible story you're going to want to listen but if you do not feel like listening to me go crazy because i am you get a rant i am going to go crazy today in cop talk so i'm just warning you now if you don't want to listen to it then shut off you podcast but wait till after our first guest you've been advised you've yeah, been yes. advised. you've been warned <laughs> and then the last topic we have another dumb de blasio report he just doesn't ever he give just up. can't get out of his own way dude he can't get out of his own way <laughs> mr stupid does it again at least we have something to laugh at oh right and then heroic headlines and then jason's always inspirational clothes so stay tuned stay informed most of all you're gonna be entertained after this message from our sponsor more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys we'll be back right after this OfficerPrivacy.com is offering a special deal for listeners of this podcast. This is a great deal. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. Their team of current and retired law enforcement officers will remove your information from the top three sites that are showing your home address, phone number, and more. Sign up at OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. You can also follow the link on our show notes. Well, my, my, my. We happen to know that guy. Criminals think they are so smart. The problem for them is the police are smarter. Detectives resolve things. They don't give up. I'm not the only one who answered the call. I am retired Sergeant Darren Bird. Detective Chris McMullen. Detective Frank Diller. Robert Cushing. Vermont State Police. Now, where did he come from? Every detective has that one case. This is that one case for me. He thinks he can outsmart these detectives. Well, he has another thing coming. You're not going to be able to run from it. You want to find that smoking gun. He does what he was made to do. Find the bad guy. That is, as they say in tennis, game, set, and match. American Detective, coming exclusively to Discovery Plus, early 2021. Learn more at discoveryplus.com. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. I want to, as always, give a big shout out to our sponsor, OfficerPrivacy.com. And Darren, as you know, uh, you were not able to make it. 
but we had an awesome event last Saturday for to raise some money for Peoria Motor Officer Jason Judd, who died in the line of duty last July 1st, and we are raising money to send his wife and son and the Honor Guard for Peoria to Washington, D.C. during police week when Jason's name will go on, unfortunately, the wall that I wish we never needed, but right. it is... Uh, I've been to police week several times. It's one of the most emotional, moving things. And his widow, his son, deserve very much to be there. And they do not need to pay for it. So it was an awesome event. I uh, had the pleasure, because you were not able to show up, (laughs) I got to play with uh, Pete James, our sponsor, his daughter, Bailey, who is a Santa Barbara Sheriff's deputy, drove over here. Oh, that's cool. Oh, it was awesome. She's fantastic. Uh, I've been on about four years, but serving Santa Barbara and hung out with Pete. And you know what? He had a tent set up. He had a great turnout of people wanting to sign up, including, you know what made me so proud? What's that? Uh, I love small world stuff, and I'm sitting there enjoying, you know, old friends I haven't seen. And guess who walks up? None other than my academy sergeant from 22 years ago. Wow. Was there. And I, I mean, I was almost in tears and uh, she does a lot now in consulting, teaching, and she uh, is going to get hundreds of people signed up. Love it. So awesome privacy is doing wonderful things. And they uh, not only do they protect us, but they turn around and they supported this event. They had a, had their boards. They had our team. They had their tent set up. This and, is a blue family. And a lot of people who did not know about this service, hundreds now do. And so big shout out to Pete. Thank you, Bailey, for driving over. Had the time of my life Saturday. I'm sorry you missed it, Darren. I got to ask you, did you win? Uh, not even We're remote. talking cornhole. Not, <laughs> listen. It You're was, not a good cornhole it, Well, it was more than 95 degrees and about my fourth kilt lifter decided that the bags didn't want to fly straight. That was my problem. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to be honest. Equipment, right? equipment um, malfunction. Without further ado, though, I, am, <laughs> I want to thank you again. You always bring on the best guests, but today is near and dear to my heart because I've known Bill for a long time. He is not only an outstanding individual, but an outstanding investigator and I think you know how I feel about homicide investigations. It is the ultimate. Of, it's pinnacle. It, 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 it truly is. Uh, I mean, you did child crimes, which I could have never done because it's it, it's more harmful and hurtful, I think. And, so, and I know that sounds ridiculous when I'm comparing it to murder. But homicide is the pinnacle. Speaking for victims who can't speak for themselves and to work for families that are affected by that kind of violence. And this gentleman got it done and i'm just so excited that you got him on so without further ado yeah. let's hear it yeah the truly the best of the best detective william bill hansen retired from his law enforcement career in november 2016 he left with over 26 years of experience in law enforcement and worked thousands truly thousands of death investigations in the capacity of a patrol deputy patrol officer scene detective and as a lead investigator he was a senior member of the homicide unit from 2005 2015 and continued working his cold case homicides until the day of his retirement 
Currently, Detector Hansen is a technical advisor for the University of Arizona for a course called The Nature of Murder, which is, is an upper division course at the University of Arizona. Uh, this is just one of these stellar individuals who also is a veteran. Detective Hansen served 22 years in the U.S. Air Force with the 161st ARW. Not sure what that is. You'll, you'll, he'll let me know. Uh, Arizona Air National Guard retiring in 2002 as the first sergeant for security forces. Uh, he has been in several episodes of the First 48, the A&E. Uh, he has things written about him in books. Uh, so without further ado, I just want to, again, welcome Bill, a mutual friend of Jason and mine, to the show. Bill, welcome to Badge Boys, my friend. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, I, I definitely want to get into a case that you and I had talked about, uh, and I refer to it as that case with, with air quotes, because it's, uh, again, I kind of alluded to the fact that it's, it's way too close to home. Uh, but I want to hear a little bit about what made you, this is Jason's, one of Jason's questions he loves asking, what made you want to be a cop? What made you sign that paper and raise your hand and, and swear an oath? and do what you do. And I can't help but think it's simply in your DNA because this is who you are. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess it all goes back. My dad was a Chicago fireman back on the South side, back in the sixties. And, uh, I grew up around that. So I grew up around flames and smoke and things of that nature. And, uh, when I was five years old, he bought me a Dick Tracy snub nose, uh, play pistol. <laughs> and I told him, I, I told him at that point I wanted to be a cop, and it broke his heart. And uh, <laughs> he's the guy, yeah, whatever. Still in service. And then, you be, yeah, yeah. and then you want to be a spaceman, and then you want to be a fireman. I was like, no, I want to be a cop. And uh, I, I went through life with that. Uh, I had, uh, when I was in the military, I had a, uh, a stepbrother uh, named Greg who was murdered in uh, an East Coast city. I won't say where. But uh, the detectives that looked at the case said it was a suicide. Uh, and this was with a blonde girl running off a bridge with a gun in her hand after she shot him. Uh, uh, so at that point, I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to become a cop for sure. And I want to go into homicide investigation. So uh, I did that. And uh, I never looked back. Uh, now that I look at the things that are happening in the world today, maybe I should have been a fireman. Uh, but, uh, yes, <laughs> I, I, I certainly 26 and a half years. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to say it was a bad time. It was, uh, some of the best times ever. I got to know a lot of good people, uh, including you and Jason. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, you had that brotherhood and sisterhood in the department. And I always enjoyed that with the fire department, with my dad. And then, uh, later on in police work, my older brother, uh, who was passed on, was also a Chicago fireman and a Peoria fireman later on, Steve Hansen. So I kind of, you're, you're right, I do have it in my DNA. It just uh, got backed out a little bit, and I went to the dark side and became a cop instead of a fireman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say anything about your IQ test, because fireman is, is, is definitely <laughs> a job to go for, but good for you. And, yeah. and in all sincerity, uh, you know, it's kind of like why I worked sex crimes and child crimes, because of it, it, there was something that was close to home. Uh, with my past so um, you know kudos to you and, and you did your family justice as well as your your brother and may rest in peace um, I can't help but think about my first case my first first 
homicide I ever worked, my first sex trauma I ever worked, my first. Those firsts are just so important in life. Um, does sure. yours stand out, that first homicide? Yes. Uh, I was actually an aggravated assault, and I had a gentleman that was uh, beaten to death, mm. and he survived in the hospital for uh, a better part of a day. So since it was an ag assault to begin with, because he was beaten with a baseball bat, oh. Uh, when he died the following day, it became my case in a in a homicide uh, setting. So I carried my own homicide cases since 2000. But that was my first one. Uh, we put the kid away, but unfortunately, we went through trial uh, right through September 11th of 2001. Uh, he ended up only getting 12 years out of the deal, and we wanted to get him a lot more. But uh, the jury just wanted to get the heck out of there, and you know, with everything going on, they they certainly didn't want to be in a courtroom or somewhere downtown. So uh, that's what he got. But uh, that was my first case. What was the most difficult case that you had in terms of it, it could be emotional. It could be, you know, as far as, you know, investigatively challenging. Whatever is that one that stands out uh, that was extremely difficult and, and challenging and maybe even, you know, brutally, you know, a lot of hardship from it. Yeah, I, I had some kid abductions that uh, turned into murders later on. You know how those go. Yeah, uh, I think do. the officer murders, the officer murders, we had Pat Hardesty and Eric Heights uh, murdered down here. And I worked both of those cases. Eric's was my case. I was a case lead on that. And those are the toughest because you go for capital, uh, you know, the capital murder. And uh, it, it goes through a whole different uh, realm when it goes into that because you have so many things that are going on. And, so many years of uh, things being thrown against the wall to see if it sticks by the defense. And, uh, you know, you, you carry a lot of that weight because you want to get a uh, death penalty conviction out of the deal. And uh, uh, you don't always necessarily get that, but you do the best you can. But, yeah, both of those weigh pretty heavy on my mind, both officer murders. And, and you also mentioned that one case that um – you came on to kind of talk about, and I don't want to go into it other than just tell it like, like you would, brother, you know, how it came down. Well, I was a deputy sheriff in Mojave County, and this was back in the uh, 90s. That's where I first started my career. And uh, I was a field training officer, and I met a guy named Craig Robert Clark, who uh, back before I became a cop, when I was still in the military, was a Tempe police officer. Uh, he came to Mojave County back in the 90s, and I was his field training officer. And, uh, you know, when all the time I was around this guy as his FTO, uh, you know, he, he certainly threw out the fact that, well, you know, you're on such a big department here, and I came from nothing. And it's like, okay, I, I get the sarcasm, and, you know, you're a smart ass, but, uh, you know, I still have to do this training and show you the areas around here. You probably know a whole hell of a lot more about the job than I do, but I still have to instruct you in this. Um, but uh, Clark was kind of different. He, uh, you know, he came up and, again, the sarcasm about being his FTO. Uh, the first time I met him, we had a, uh, a barbecue at a, uh, at a sergeant's house. He was very arrogant and outgoing, uh, but he was very friendly with kids there. I had... Uh, Three of mine there, and he was overly friendly with a lot of the kids, and was uh, I, I want to say he was a second degree black belt, and you know wanted to do the old spin moves and jump kicks and all this kind of stuff, and you know ooh and ah the kids, which I thought was okay, but 
I don't know. I just thought it was kind of off color since these guys are just baiting him and he's doing this. But um, Clark was like that. But we became uh, friends through this. Uh, we were friends with the family. Our wives knew each other. Um, and uh, we uh, ended up eating each other's houses before working out together. Um, his wife babysat my kids. So it was, uh, you know, a lot of those things that you go through uh, that then blew a line with where, you know, this is your brother, this is your sister. And, you know, he may have had a quirky attitude or whatever, but it, that never fazed me. I, I thought, well, this is still my brother. We're working together. So, you know, once he got over that, uh, you know, the, the BS, I guess you could say, of being on a bigger department and working on an SO, you know, he kind of fit in. But it it always bothered me. This guy came from Tempe, which is a, a, a lot bigger department and a lot more pay in the Phoenix Valley. And I'm thinking, why would he come up to Mojave Valley or Mojave County up in the Bullhead area, which I affectionately call hell <laughs> because it's over 120 in the summertime all the time. Um, I remember trying to write a traffic ticket with my feet melting into the ground and looking up at Don Laughlin's uh, Riverside Casino, and it said 132 on the temperature gauge. But he always wanted to bring the temperatures down cooler because he didn't want to uh, shoo away all the uh, people who were coming up there to gamble. <laughs> so anyway, um, but uh, Clark also told me he was an FTO in Tempe, so we kind of went over some of the stories. And uh, he talked a little bit about why he left Tempe at one point. And he said he was a witness to a sex assault. And when he came up on this person who was uh, on top of this girl, he drew his gun. He was giving them commands. The guy wouldn't get off. And he's got trigger pull. And he's thinking, I'm going to have to kill this guy who's sexually assaulting the girl. And he couldn't do it. Um, he got some help out there. They were able to get the guy off of her, of course, and take him into custody. But he said that bothered him a lot. And he had to leave. And I thought, okay, this this is a raising a red flag. I'm not saying w what you're talking about, but okay, you know, my, everybody's got their reasons for things, so that was fine. Um, but, uh, you know, he did come to our department, and we found out later on when you did contact any department, I've done backgrounds, and you guys probably know this too, they'll say that the person worked for their department, but that's it. They won't say why they left, why they were terminated, um, you know, unless they, they were uh, arrested, convicted, and in jail, uh, then the department may say, you know, go talk to DOC about it, but they don't, they don't give you a lot of explanation for it. So uh, that was one of the things that kind of raised a little bit of a red flag. Uh, another thing about Craig was the fact that he had books and books, a lot of different uh, uh, books with pictures in them of dead animals. And it was all roadkill stuff. And he would uh, be driving along. He'd tell the wife, I got to get out and take a picture of this. He'd run out of the car, go over to where some roadkill was at and take a picture of it. And I thought that's that's kind of strange. Yeah, now, you know, with some of the people, you know, with some of the people we look at, uh, some of the serial killers and things like that. You look at where they, uh, you know, kill animals and sure. how they do it and things. And this kind of crept up in the back of my mind later on. And I thought that's an aha moment, but I didn't know it at the time. So uh, we fast forward. We go on a few years down the road. I'm uh, the the team leader for our SWAT team. And I get a notification from one of our sergeants who's en route to one of our substations in Bullhead, uh, the Bullhead area. It's out closer to Needles, actually. 
And he said, I'm en route to the station. I need you to respond with a SWAT team and take down a deputy. And I went, okay, 10-9, what, what are you talking about? He goes, I can't answer a lot of questions. I just need you there. So I said, all right, I'm en route. So I flipped around and hit the uh, code three and went to the substation. And we all got dressed out as we were uh, trying to get in there. And uh, I collected our team. We went through the door and we found out we've got a deputy inside wearing a gun with his shield. Uh, He's only been told to come into the station and sit down. And they're going to have to talk to them about something. We don't know anything else about it. And as I walk through the door, I'm third in line. I've got my point, my point cover, and I'm third in line. And I see it's Clark. And he's facing away from us, sitting in the chair, hands on the table. And we come up, we draw down on him, of course, and give him commands. Keep your hands on the table. Don't move. We take the gun away from him. We look for a secondary, if he's got it down on his ankle or what have you. But we, we cuff him up then, do a search on him. And he's asking us, what's going on? We're like, hey, I... I don't know. You're going to have to talk to uh, the investigators on this. We don't know. So we go ahead and put him in a cell. We go back, and the sergeant who uh, responded there says, I need to talk to you guys. So we went back to the office. He closes the door, and he says, all right, I've got to tell you something about what happened. And, again, this is alleged because I'll, I'll give you a little bit more about it later on. But, allegedly, Clark molested another deputy's son, uh, numerous, numerous times. We're talking about almost 100 counts. And, um, you know, there's there's problems. He's going to be charged with it today. Uh, we've already taken him into custody. We're going to charge him and put him in jail. And I said, okay, so where was this happening at? Well, we don't have all the specifics. Uh, we do know that uh, the, the deputy's son right now is uh, in counseling for this and um, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep a close eye on him. And I told my sergeant, I said, uh, yeah, but he and his wife watched my kids. And he said, oh shit, you better go home. So I left from that point and went and picked up, uh, my kids, several of my kids, not all of them, but, uh, several of them and brought them to the house. And I asked our oldest if anything had happened. The answer was no okay and I was trying to be dad and also you know not throw the cop down their throat I didn't want to uh, you know put the spotlight on him and have him you know answer everything uh, under oath but I was trying to get to the bottom of what happened and if, if nothing happened I was going to be very relieved so I talked to one of my sons I put him on the couch and I said so when you guys are over at Clark's house has anything ever happened? And he took a throw pillow that we had on the couch and he put it over his private area and said, no. And I thought, oh boy. So yeah. I called our department up. I said, listen, we've got a problem here. My, uh, one of my kids uh, may have some issues with this. I don't want to ask him. I'm not forensically uh, able to ask these questions. Um, you know, I just told them what I asked and you know, it, it got closed up. So I was thinking we're going to do a CAC interview uh, or something of that nature or ever a forensic person come out to talk with him. Uh, it ended up that one of our sergeants and one of our detectives comes out and talks to him and finds out that there was a, a small incident happening one time where uh, 
my son had said Clark had him put his hand, I'm sorry, my son had his hand placed on his pants to show that, you know, he was in uniform and he was in charge. Now, that was from my son. That's not alleged. I, I heard that and understood that, and uh, we we're going to charge him with uh, some charges with that. Um, so they went down, and I talked to them before they left and said, listen, you know, kind of kind of give me a background of what's going on. Well, the, the problem they had, they're not forensic interviewers, unfortunately, and Darren, you know all about this since you worked in child sex. Um, but uh, when they asked him questions, everything was leading, Ugh. everything. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, why didn't you just let him talk? Right. Um, but that was one of the problems we had with this. And when uh, the county attorney looked at my son's case, he went, God, why? I wish it would have been a different interview with this. And I said, well, I, I didn't know it was going to be that way. I mean, I, I, I'm a, a, a deputy that's been on the department for a couple of years. I don't know how these things work. Now I know how they work, but back then I did. So we had some issues with that. Um, we uh, had a uh, uh, advanced officer training in Kingman right before this happened with Clark. And I'm up there with him. We're at a traffic investigators class, and we're driving home. And as I'm getting off on the exit to come uh, toward the bullhead area, I ran over a Mojave Green rattlesnake, which is a really nasty snake. Uh, we've, we've run over these things before, and they strike your tires for the next half hour, even though they're dead. I mean, they're, they're nasty critters. So when I came off the freeway, Clark said, look out for the snake, and I tried to avoid it, and I ran over it. And I get out, and I'm like, ah, oh, shoot. And he goes over, and he looks at it. And as I'm sitting there looking down, he's standing behind me, and I hear him saying, I should just effing shoot you. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I, I grabbed her leather and started to spin around and saw he was sitting there staring at me. And I thought, why would he say something like that? That is weird. Wow. And I, I, th I just thought that was a little bit strange. Uh, and, again, um, the, the deputy's son that told these things, again, this is all alleged, because uh, this poor kid was um, – taken by Clark. He was brought out to a Walmart, according to what he told investigators. And they got a bunch of balloons with helium in them. Clark took out his AR-15, brought him out into the desert area, and put names on all of the balloons, including his mom and dad's name. And from what I understand, my name also. And he shot these and said, this is what's going to happen. If you ever say anything to anybody, oh, uh, you know, they're all going to die. There was also a, a uh, comment made that uh, Clark and alleged victim were going to go to a Walmart and do an armed robbery if they got caught, and then they go into the hills and survive with each other. Um, so, I, I mean, there was a lot of things that were popping up with this that kind of made your skin crawl. And, you know, when I talk about that snake, I thought, well, maybe he's just BSing. If you're hearing about the balloons, I don't think that was necessarily the case. But Clark talked about what happens to people hotel, and he was talking about, uh, you know, killing them off. Uh, the the victim also allegedly made statements that Clark had uh, made threats over time about, you know who I am, you know what I could do, things like that. So the the older victim seemed like he was doing a little bit better. My son was doing okay. We already had him in counseling, and 
we were getting tired of waiting for this trial to start. It took forever and a day, as you guys well know, those do. Well, this poor kid is out on Lake Havasu on a jet ski and gets run over by a speedboat, which kills him instantly. And when I looked at this, I thought, well, wait a minute. Clark's still in custody. I don't know if somebody could make this happen, but this, this poor kid is dead now. I said, what happens to the case? And they said, well, your son is the only part of this case that we're going to be able to go forward with because, you know, no victim, no crime for him. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I don't understand how this works. So, um, you know, we, we had this poor young kid that was killed. Uh, we were still in that area, but a short time later I had uh, lateral down to Tucson and I brought the family down here and we had heard that the trial date was nearing Mojave County uh, attorney's office got a hold of me and said listen we need to come down there and talk to your son about the case with Clark and I said okay I said well you know he's been in counseling now and this is going on probably about three or four years I said he's been in counseling I don't know what he's going to remember I'm, I'm not going to talk to him about this until you get here because I certainly don't want to guide him one way or another on this. I want him to answer your questions. So the uh, county attorney came down. We met uh, Chase at our house in Tucson, and he talked to my son, and my son said, you know what, I don't remember a lot about this. It only happened one time. Uh, I was offended by it. I, I didn't like Clark. Um, he says, but I've been in counseling, and I've been trying to forget this for years, and you know, if you if you ask me on the stand if I said this, I'll say, okay, I said it, but I don't I don't want to remember it, and I don't remember it. So Chase told me, well, listen, we're going to have to drop charges against this guy, and we're going to uh, look at uh, having his. He's already agreed to have his AZ post, Arizona Police Officer Standards and Training, uh, stripped, and he won't be law enforcement in this state. And I said, well, yeah, that's great, but what about? California, New Mexico, Nevada, I mean, what do you mean he's just going to be able to walk away from this? I said, what about being a, uh, a sort offender, a sex offender uh, registration standards person for the molestation on the, the first uh, poor kid and then my son? He says, no, they can't do that. He's not going to be a sort offender. If we drop the charges, we're going to drop the charges. And he said, what I'm concerned about is if he goes to court and your son can't make uh, statements about this stuff, we're going to lose the case altogether. He'll be able to walk out of there and become a cop again, maybe even get his job back. And I went, well, I don't want to see that happen. Let's go ahead and strip the AZ post uh, from his name, and, and we'll go from there. So um, I heard that Clark went to the Phoenix area and became a, uh, a range official, if you want to call it that, at like a paintball place where he was out there uh, showing the kids how to shoot the paintballs and how to do it properly and things like that. But um, one of the uh, county attorneys after uh, this all happened was talking with Mojave County, and uh, I, I understood that Clark was spending way too much time with the kids. And it was like, oh, boy, some, something's going to be wrong with this. Well, we found out about another molestation, and uh, Clark had told this child that he was a former law enforcement officer. He had a lot of friends. Uh, you can't do anything against me if I 
find out that you said anything, I've got a lot of people that can kill you and your families. I mean, these are the threats, alleged threats that were coming out. So one of the mothers of a victim uh, called and uh, filed a complaint against him. They picked up Clark and he was arrested. This is about, this is probably about a year and a half, two years after he was let out of custody. Um, when he's in custody, I talked to Jeanette Gallagher. She's a, a friend of mine through uh, Maricopa County uh, Attorney's Office. And she said that uh, he had made a statement, Clark had made a statement that he wanted to protect kids against people like me. In other words, pedophiles, he wanted to make a uh, some type of public address. And they decided against that. They said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, we don't think that's a good idea. And he says, okay, well, I want to talk to you guys to avoid the death penalty. And they went, what? The hell does that mean? I mean, I, I understand what's going on with this, the one count of molestation. And uh, fortunately for a lot of those kids, a lot more came forward after the first child and started talking about Clark making uh, advances and things like that. So, there was more counts that were adding up. Uh, we found out later on that Clark met uh, Jamie Jurassic in Apache Junction at a skate park. Uh, Jurassic was a runaway, and Clark admitted that he molested this uh, kid and strangled him after he uh, decided he didn't want to be with Clark anymore. Uh, Clark, according to what the county attorney said, took the body to an apartment in Sunrise an electric saw and dismembered the body in the shower, burned it, and buried it, and even went back and brought this uh, electronic or electric saw back to one of the hardware stores and got his money back after everything was said and done. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Clark, after they found out that he had killed this child, he was brought out to the area with the county attorney's office along with Surprise uh, PD from where it happened at. Uh, they could not locate the body, but they did uh, charge him with the murder. Uh, and Clark received life in prison plus 162 years for this offense. Um, these things were in uh, several news prints, uh, Marion Parents Network, the Arizona Daily Sun, Phoenix Cop Watch, and Arizona Republic, uh, back when this happened in 2005. So when I look at what happened to uh, my son, I'm very grateful that uh, I was able to, uh, you know, wake up and at least ask the questions and uh, get a good read on what was going on. I'm, I'm certainly glad that Clark got caught when he did because I don't know what may have happened prior to that, um, these incidents, but I know that uh, with the, uh, with the molestation in Mojave County that first occurred that he was arrested for, when I say the alleged things, well, it's all alleged because it's all reports, it's all police reports. However, uh, you know, no victim, no crime. No, it wasn't adjudicated. So, right, exactly. So we know that uh, Clark was certainly capable of this stuff. Uh, the county attorney, they said he could have heard a pin drop when he made that admission and said that he had killed a kid. Um, and they, uh, a lot of these parents that had the molestation things happen with Clark were 
certainly grateful that he was uh, taken into custody and wasn't able to go out and harm anybody else. Wow, you know, that story, it just hits me on so many levels. And, and Jason had prophetically talked about, you know, he was a homicide, I was child crimes. And so many of these sexual predators have, you know, for them to be able to violate a child, you know, to think that they're not capable of also killing that child, um, you know, just doesn't make sense. You know, they are truly monsters. And they are absolutely yeah. capable of this type of atrocity. Um, I cannot thank you enough for sharing that story. It is is this these exploits reflected in a book? Um, you on Forty Eight Hours? Can you talk a little bit about you know the putting this information out there in case there was other victims that we probably still don't know about? That's true. I know there was a lot of uh, press about it. Uh, I've never seen anything on Forty Eight Hours or any of those things. Uh, I do have it in a book that I'm writing, one of my, uh, an autobiography. Um, and that's one of the things because it's called a pedophile among us. Uh, you know, you certainly don't think you're going to run into that in police work, but you guys both know that, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes things like that pop up and it's, it's horrific. Yeah. They're hard to get over. They're truly, truly, truly all around us in every facet of life and, this being Assault Awareness Month, these sexual predators, whether pedophiles or, or other type of rapists with sexual paraphilic desires and traits, they're out there. They're, they're, they're out there and they're hiding in plain sight. So thank you for writing that book. And please come back to Badge Boys and share that book with us, would you, sir? I will do that. I thank do you that. so much, Bill. And before you go, how is your son doing well, today? Uh, he is doing very well. Uh, I'm not going to say his name or what he's doing, but... Uh, He's doing very well. He's married. He's got four kids. Uh, thank God he is uh, flourishing and has put all this behind him. So That's thank good. the Lord every day for that. Outstanding. God bless you and your family, Bill. God bless you guys, too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bill, for, for sharing that. That was riveting as it, as it was sad. Uh, we'll be right back after this station break and a word from our sponsor. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I'm Pete James, a retired law enforcement officer who has a passion for the safety and security of those in the profession. OfficerPrivacy.com offers a full range of privacy services that removes your personal information from the internet so you and your family can feel safe and secure in your home. OfficerPrivacy.com will keep you safe. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. Uh, wow, Darren, that was a powerful, powerful story to listen to. Too powerful. Um, humbling and You had me in tears over here, guys. Scary. Yeah, that was, I knew uh, it would. Too close to home. That was home. something too else. Too close to uh, home. Way yeah. too close to home. And it covered like all the elements of the worst things yeah. that can happen yeah. to us as human beings and and as investigators uh it's just crazy uh so as always the hot topic is usually our topic of the week and the one that we are going to discuss of course is Osser potter in brooklyn center uh, minneapolis which i i I just can't get over the irony that it was like 10 miles away from the Derek Chauvin trial. Of all places, as big as this country is, this is where it takes place. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to let you uh, 
start with the facts and your thoughts before I catch on fire again and uh, rattle off. I can't even read my own handwriting. I was so pissed off making my notes. So that'll I'll, that'll let you know where this is headed. <laughs> I'll be doing a lot of um. Yes. Very my soon. finger will be on the volume switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, Jason said, this was Brooklyn Center, uh, Minnesota. This is a suburb of Minneapolis. A white police officer who fairly shot, again, this is the media, white police officer who fairly shot a black man during a traffic stop in a Minneapolis, again, suburb, uh, resigned Tuesday, as did the city's police chief. The police, um, again, we could go on and on, but the resignations from Officer Kim Potter and Police Chief Tim Gannon came two days after the death of 20-year-old Dante Wright in, again, Brooklyn Center. Uh, Potter, by the way, is a 26-year veteran. When I first saw this, I was thinking, ah, this is probably some rookie that shouldn't have been a cop. But the 26-year veteran had been on administrative leave following the Sunday shooting. Um, this is uh, uh, Gannon, who was the police chief, had a press conference that really broke our hearts because he was in tears during it. Uh, he, he said he believed Potter mistakenly grabbed her gun when she was going for her taser. She can be heard on her body camera video shouting, taser, taser, which is what cops do when they're going to go transition and taser. Uh, after stopping right for, and, and this is more of the facts of the case, after stopping uh, right for the expired license plate, again, they talk about a, a motorist, but he's more than motorist. He was actually had a felony warrant, and quite a, quite a warrant at that. Police tried to arrest him uh, on this outstanding warrant. The warrant, again, was for failure to appear in court on charges that he fled from officers, so he's done this before, uh, and possessed a gun without a permit during an encounter with police. Uh, again, the body camera footage released Monday showed this um, this individual right struggling with police uh, when the officer says, quote, I'll tase you, I'll tase you. And then she's saying, taser, 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 which I take as her telling the other cops, be, you know, be prepared. She draws her weapon, her duty gun, after a man breaks free from police outside his car and gets behind the wheel. After firing a single shot from her handgun, the car speeds away, and she says, quote, holy shit. I shot him. Uh, Wright died of a single gunshot wound to the chest, according to the medical examiner. Um, I'm going to go into what the uh, mayor said because the mayor kind of you know, threw down the city manager and threw down anybody who— Oh, I'm going to go into it. Oh, good. I, I had no doubt, my friend. <laughs> I had no doubt, brother. Line three um, of my notes. I, uh, I felt really bad for the— um, um, this department, this is a small department. So, Jason, you want to know what I felt. I feel nothing but sorrow and sadness for everything associated with this. I feel hatred for those who use tragedies for their own agenda. I feel it was appropriate. We knew, uh, based on some early statements, that the decision would be made by Wednesday, which was telling to me that they already made a decision. They're going to have to file charges against the officer for, uh, you know, minimum, uh, which I think, is a, sadly, I think is appropriate. Uh, my heart breaks for her. Uh, her family's been destroyed, uh, but it was a mistake. It was uh, reckless, and uh, it should not have happened. Race had nothing to do with this. This was a cop, 26-year veteran, that made one of the most horrific mistakes a cop can make. Mm -hmm. And we all know that as a cop, if we make a mistake, and if it's horrific and it's just you know reckless beyond all get-out, there's things as a uh, might back my head on one question, but it doesn't help now uh, as the, as the dust settles. I want to know where was her taser strapped? You know, on our department, you have it on the opposite side. You know, on Facing our, backwards. Thank you. In our department, it's yellow. It's not black. It can't. 
it can't be mistaken unless you're on drugs. Uh, I just have a problem with the shooting, uh, you know, as we should have a problem with the shooting. But I also have a problem with using this uh, for, for to, to use as a excuse to loot, as an excuse to be, commit criminal acts. I have a, a hatred for people that use this tragedy as an agenda to their means. And with that, I will segue to you, brother. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. Uh, it, and yes, she was charged with manslaughter today. As uh, I credit the police department with releasing the body cam, that might have been the fastest release of a body cam I've ever seen. And as soon as you watch it, there was no question zero that she should be charged with manslaughter. She has been, and. I don't see any way uh, that she's going to be found innocent of these charges. I did go back and look over recent history. There have been 15 cases of what they call uh, weapon misidentification. Uh, of those 15, only five officers were charged, and of those five, three were convicted. I do think that Officer former officer Potter will be convicted. Uh, what I agree with you for sure. This was not about race. I mean, her partner's black. He, I, I don't think they're tact. Either one of them's tactics were very good. Horrible. But the other thing that doesn't get talked about because facts are facts and we need to discuss everything that goes into this. When I give my presentations and I talk very openly I did not catch on fire because I got hit by an illegal immigrant. I caught on fire because of a lot of choices that I made over many years of my life. And yes, Dante Wright was both a suspect and then just by definition of the law, he, the way he lost his life, it is murder. What degree is you know open for debate, debate and charging? It is manslaughter. He still is the victim, and he's dead. He should not be dead. However, if he doesn't, if he has valid registration, it, armed robbery against a woman is what the warrant was for. And then he resisted arrest when he was caught instead of taking his medicine. So he could have easily saved his own life. And of course. We don't talk about that. And when you talk about this mayor, this one really gets me fired up. I'm not even going to say this fucking guy's name. First of all, the city manager gets fired as soon as he says, let's let the facts play out. Well, Darren, the facts are playing out and she's been charged. He got fired immediately. And then you have a city council member, Chris Lawrence, and... This is really puts into perspective the sad state of the, the world right now. This city council member voted to approve the firing of the city manager saying, I love him dearly. He's done a great job since 2005, but I am so scared of the repercussions and people coming and burning down and looting my own house that I felt I had no choice but to vote for his firing. How incredibly sad that people 
in political power are caving to potential mob violence and safety. And I can't say that I might not feel the same way, but that is a very sad situation. And then, oh my God, this fucking mayor, listen to this, said cops should be unarmed during traffic stops. Now, two things. Traffic stops are the most dangerous things that police officers do. And the day before this shooting, the video for that New Mexico state trooper was released. He was executed, shot, I think, six times, once point blank in the back of the head with an AR-15 that all these radical progressives want to get rid of. But because that suspect in New Mexico was a person of color and because he shot a cop, a white cop on the side of the road with an AR-15, they are all fucking for that. CNN loves that. Are you kidding me right now? And then the hypocrisy that we, and listen, I am not denigrating the Capitol Police officer who was run over over a week ago. I am not denigrating his service or his memory. But the fact that he is lying in state right now on the Capitol Rotunda after being murdered by a black follower of Louis Farrakhan and the politicians back there are praising him like they're, he, they're using his him as an example to show, oh, we do care, yet they don't give two shits about the rest of these people. For that mayor to say that cops should not be armed during traffic stops, it, it is just so stupid. A, it's so asinine. Then you have... Jesus Christ. Rashida Tlaib is a sitting congresswoman. Unfortunately. She said, yeah, I would really (laughs) love to know what is wrong with the people who voted for this woman. She said, end all policing and end all incarceration. So within that one sentence, (laughs) we are talking about tens of thousands of jobs between law enforcement, prosecutors, criminal defense attorneys, all the people who work in our jails. And she is willing to save 10 to 20 lives, minority lives a year that get taken in an overuse of force, like a Derek Chauvin or this uh, ridiculous mistake by Officer Potter, she is willing to save them while causing total anarchy and killing everybody else. So how about we release all those criminals and take away the police officers in her district? And you know what? If it works out, then maybe I'll be open for that discussion. But her statement is not even, it can't even be classified as stupid or wanting <laughs> likes. Beyond that. This, this woman is so psychotic and so evil. It's mind boggling that she's a sitting woman of Congress and hates America, hates police officers, hates white people that much calls us racist, but she is clearly the most racist person there is. And these are the people who are in charge. And again, CNN soaks it up. And that brings me into the final thing that happened this week. And this really gets me fired up is that Army Lieutenant um, 
Lazario, who got pulled over. I think it was in Virginia. And if you just watch the headline, again, if you just watch CNN, my initial thought was, oh, man, that, that, that's not cool what those cops did. Well, then I took the time to watch. It's approximately 33 minutes when you combine the officer's body cam along with uh, when he was pulled over, he took the time to set up his cell phone so he could go FaceTime live. This guy is a lieutenant in the army. He can't fucking lead a litter of kittens to a sandbox, and he's a lieutenant. He let them drive, following him, lights and siren, for one and a half miles, which is a long way to not pull over. And again, when you talk about the officer, the New Mexico State Trooper who was executed with an AR-15, this kind of heightens your... So they finally get him pulled over, come out with guns drawn. So level of force is straight up to the top, right? He ignores their commands over and over to simply put your hands out the window. He won't do it. He's the, the look from his camera, his phone. Did you watch this video? He, he is so incredibly smug. He is so incredibly, I'm going to get my 15 minutes of CNN fame right here, throwing down the, I serve my country. Why am I being treated? The biggest pussy I've ever seen talk and will not simply listen to the commands. Then the officers, to their credit, they start to de-escalate. Good for them. They, they put their guns away. They go up to the car. They are still talking to him. He's still refusing to get out of the car, undo his seatbelt. And the things that he is saying to them, it, it just ridiculous. They holster their guns. They don't tase him. They drop all the way down to... Now, Darren, we're like 17 minutes into this traffic stop, okay? And... This was not racist. Again, I don't give a shit what Chris Cuomo says or any of these politicians. This is a, a police officer saw this SUV, could not identify the plates. The windows were very tinted. He had no idea who was in that driver's seat. This was not about race. And that's most so traffic stops. Finally, when they got to the point where they're like, we have to get this guy out of the car because he is... Uh, now obstructing justice and basically putting us in an unsafe place and turned out he had a gun right next to his right leg and they're next to a bunch of gas pumps. They pepper spray him, okay? They end up calling the chief of police, letting them know, look, this guy's not very bright and he's wearing an army uniform and whether you like it or not, there is a camaraderie, a respect. With, yeah, for that, you know what? I service. I I would have, I would not have written tickets to nurses. I would not have written tickets to guys in uniform. It's just the way it is. It is. They talked to the chief. The chief agreed with the senior officer about his decision to let the guy. They got him medical attention for the pepper spray. They let him go on his way. Two days later, this guy sues the officers for use of force. And son of a bitch, Darren, that officer who pepper sprayed him got fired. So now you are telling police absolutely no level of force is okay against a person of color. It does not matter 
what they have done. So we are we are so barely into the beginning of how many lives, both officers and civilians, how many lives are going to be lost because the media and politicians are fueling this hatred. And it's very clear that the progressives, the Rashida Tlaibs, the mayor of Brooklyn Center, it is very clear that they want a race war in this country. They, it is very clear that they want officers off the streets, hurt, killed. And the people who are getting hurt and killed, it is terrible. I feel horrible for Dante Wright and his family. He should not be dead. Even the crimes he committed, he should not be dead. George Floyd should not be dead. I have no problem that that simple common sense understanding. But instead of actually trying to fix this problem and come together as America, all these people are using these cases. Exploiting what, it. What officer, exploiting what officer Potter did is, it, it's absurd, it's heinous, it's ridiculous. I don't understand how you can mistake uh, that, especially with all that training and all those years on. I don't get it. But to use what she did, and the criminal system is playing out. She's been charged, and most likely, I don't see any way around her not being found be guilty. Justice. And she is going to serve prison time, which destroys her kids, and her husband's a cop. He, you know, he's going to have to quit and move out of the state. Also, it, it's destroyed a ton of lives, and the media is going to harp on this case. Unfortunately, until we sit down in these chairs next week and we have to talk about the next use of force and incident be that CNN picks up on. And so I am just incensed that I can watch a New Mexico State trooper get gunned down on the side of the road by a true criminal with an AR-15 and nobody outside of a few of us care. And you have something else like a guy getting pepper sprayed who was begging for those officers to do something to him. Oh, those baited. So he Just could, based on what you tell me, And you know what? I, and I know with the way the military is going, it won't happen. But the uh, from all the way up to the Pentagon, this guy should not be allowed to keep his bars. He should not be allowed to wear that uniform. He should not be allowed to serve this country because he could have simply followed the rules on a traffic stop and he would have been gone in less than two minutes on his way, hey, you have to display your tags in a way that can be seen. That is the law, and we are a country, a nation of law and order. Not anymore, we're not. Because what we've found is that these individuals, the one thing they all have in common, almost all of them, is resisting or failure to obey. And that failure to obey works on their side, and they get a payday. But they're being encouraged to do it. Listen, they they would, are. Darren, I would tell every cop right now, and a lot of crimes, like this guy, he had a warrant for his arrest. And what a lot of people don't understand, this is a felony warrant. When a judge, bench warrant, a bench when warrant. A judge issues that as a police officer, you have no, no discretion. No. You have to take that person into custody because the judge is telling you to. Uh, order. I, so a lot of crimes have been solved over. I pulled a guy over here in Phoenix one day for, I, I can't remember, I think, Something so stupid, he didn't use his turn signal, or it, a brake light was out. I went up to just 
talk to him. I run his name. Guess what? Wanted for murder out of Oklahoma. Whoa. Absolutely, I've done that. So brought a lot of closure to that family. But I would tell officers right now, and this is so sad to say this, but I mean this 100%. I know where you're going. I would never, ever do another traffic stop in this country, at least for the next foreseeable years until these politicians and media get their shit together. And you're saying just traffic stop, you'd almost have to go into any proactive police work any proactive oh, no, no. police just, work you know just answer the hot calls and everything call else call the call radio call everything calls. else you know what let them send a social worker let them send uh you know a psychologist a psychiatrist and once some of them start getting killed that'll wake up well it won't wake up chris cuomo because he's a fucking idiot and the rashida Tlaibs of the world but and, to, and because they get to you know what is she giving up her armed security no. Here's my concern about everything you said, which is is accurate, is that the individuals, and I'll just say BOM, those individuals who hate police, you know, the uh, the senators who I won't say their names, the the monsters who want to see cops killed at that this ugliness, if you will, that's completely sweeping the land right now. It, it's it's bizarre how it's it's. It's so insidious, and so many people on the left don't see it. The problem is that this dialogue, this rhetoric, this ugliness, they keep feeding in to the mistakes that police officers make. You know, the, the, the criminal mistake it is even a uh, mistake, what, what, who killed George Floyd, who I refused to say his name. Uh, poor Officer Potter, who I feel bad for because I genuinely believe it was a mistake, but it was a not costly deadly mistake it's criminal so they use these tragedies these mistakes and then they use it for their agenda as what they're doing is they're literally fulfilling their own prophecy they hate police they say all police are bad they want to defund which means less training they want to dismantle which means less police officer they want to degrade which means people won't listen to police they are creating the environment that they suspected which wasn't true but they're creating it. So now their prophecy of bad police is coming to bear because you're going to have less trained officers. You're going to have less officers doing the job. You're going to have less officers doing real police work, won't be doing proactive police work, won't be doing traffic stops because you're going to get screwed if you end up showing the appropriate force. Because one of the things we didn't talk about with Potter is, and we alluded to it, is that that arrest on that, young man was really horrible tactics. They mm. did not have control of him. Why did they not have control of it? Was because they were fair, afraid to put too much force? Is that a possibility? That's a very had strong they, possibility. Yeah, had they have did the job right and used true arrest tactics, held on to him, did the right handcuffing procedure, which they didn't do, not have the door open next to him, which they did, not have loose grip on him so he could get away easily, had they taken control of him, which would have been the word forceful, um, were they afraid of that? Well, I believe you're probably right because a, a felony warrant, that's a, that is a yes. gunpoint felony stop. Yes. Uh, once you get that hit, you, it, it, you don't walk back up to the first. So I, I don't get their tactics. But back to what you were just saying. Yeah. So this, and I really want to understand this, and there's no way to understand this. Again, I'm not insulting Billy Evans. God bless him and his family and his service. But why is he lying in state 
at the Capitol and the politicians are memorializing him actually walking by his casket. And then they turn around and say to the protesters and rioters of Minnesota, please burn down the city and kill cops. How does that make any sense that you are idolizing one police officer who was run over and you are wishing death upon other officers that are still alive. How the fuck is that possible? They want to eat their cake and have it too. It's a simple thing where they say um, about officers, we have good officers, but you know, there's a few good officers, but in most cases, officers are good, but it's that, but that tells you what their agenda really is, but they want their cake and eat it too. So they can appease to one element of the population that says, you know, officers, we need officers. What are you talking about with the funding? So they can appease that with the, and you said so best last week when we had that, uh, I want to say it was a heroic headline or maybe even inspirational where you refuse to talk about the politicians praising an individual officer because it's not genuine. It's, it's completely disingenuous. disingenuous. Completely it's completely disingenuous. Absolutely. They throw it out there just so they can click off that, that, uh, that mark of, you know, hey, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-police. But bang, and then they go into their rhetoric. And this, we need to absolutely understand there's an insidious network at play here that is distorting what's going on. They're extorting, literally extorting the, the judicial process in fear. And people are doing things out of fear and not because it's justice. Well, and we truly are... The, this has been going on now for obviously it's been going on for a very long time. Oh, too long. But Facebook and Twitter are the downfall of America. One hundred percent rests on Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey's shoulders. I have n n no doubt about that because we would not have the abilities to connect the way we do in in such a negative way and form these opinions so instantly if it wasn't for what they allow and they shut down the. Uh, I mean, I guarantee you, if I wrote on Twitter right now that Rashida Tlaib is psychotic and evil, my Twitter account would be gone. Rashida Tlaib could write, hey, that Vern Koff in Phoenix, I want him dead. And Jack Dorsey would be like, yeah, he'd put like fucking clapping emojis. I hate these people. I, I, it's, um, it's nothing short of brainwashing. They're able to throw out that information in, in just one video, one bad statement, one thing after another. And good people are starting to buy in on that. How's that not brainwashing? They are. What what? What I truly believe, though, is what's happened, and let's just go, let's just start with George Floyd, because that's, that really was kind of the... It was a huge catalyst. The, we'll it say it that. was. But since then, we are, I think, only a few feet of snow and ice at the top has started to break, and the avalanche that is coming is what people don't understand. So all of these lying reporters and national media and politicians who say they want reform and justice are only making things a whole lot worse. And again, there are a lot of officers out there right now and a lot of civilians who are getting ready to die in the next five to 10 years unnecessarily because of the words and words matter without pulling a trigger people like Rashida Tlaib 100% Mark Zuckerberg is responsible for more deaths in this country in the past year than anybody else the suicides and the murders he is responsible for those in a way that nobody else is and he, 
until politicians act on that and break these companies up and get them to stop allowing the rhetoric that they do. Uh, I just think we are, we are barely into what is going to be a, just a tsunami Tip of violence. Tip of the iceberg. It, it is going to get so ugly and scary. And I am truly uh, scared. Th- I'm this worried na- for our brothers na- and sisters in law enforcement. Is, uh, one word for my children, my grandchildren. This The country but is But the first to go are these police officers. The, uh, that is for sure. So... Uh, stay safe. That was uh, yeah. Please stay safe. I, it, it is just it's almost an impossible job to do right now. And God bless you for doing it and trying to make a difference. I'm not trying to discourage you from doing your job, but it is a very difficult thing right now. All right, we will be back and try to spin this 180 degrees and lighten the load, some load a little bit. Lighten the load a little bit. Uh, yeah. Thanks for a great cop talk. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. We both signed up for the service and are so happy with it. OfficerPrivacy.com is offering a very special deal for listeners of the Badge Boys. This is a great deal. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. Their team of current and retired law enforcement officers will remove your information from the top 30 sites that are showing your home address, your phone number, and so much more. When you sign up now with our link, you'll get a free bonus mailed to you, plus your first month of monitoring for free. You don't have to be an officer to sign up. If you are a family member or just don't want your personal information out there on the Internet, you can join OfficerPrivacy.com. We've met the owner, had him on our show, great guy, and he will take care of you, I promise. If you care about your online privacy, and I highly recommend the service he provides, sign up at OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. Well, my, my, my. We happen to know that guy. Criminals think they are so smart. The problem for them is the police are smarter. Detectives resolve things. They don't give up. I'm not the only one who answered the call. I am retired Sergeant Darren Bruce. Detective Chris McMullen. Detective Frank Diller. Robert Cushing. Vermont State Police. Now, where did he come from? Every detective has that one case. This is that one case for me. He thinks he can outsmart these detectives. Well, he has another thing coming. You're not going to be able to run from it. You want to find that smoking gun. He does what he was made to do. Find the bad guy. That is, as they say in tennis, game, set, and match. American Detective, coming exclusively to Discovery Plus, early 2021. Learn more at discoveryplus.com. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. That was absolutely, sadly, a difficult cop talk in terms of the anger, the frustration, the, the doomsday, you know, foreshadowing that we both see. And sadly, I'm usually over here kind of going, um, kind of calming down. This time. No, no, this I'm time. sadly right with you and right exactly yeah. where, where you're at, my, my friend. You know yeah. what scares me when I think about this whole thing going on? It's like what you guys were talking about, Darren, and I was talking about this before the show. How is an officer 
supposed to approach anything day to day in their job without feeling a little bit nervous and worried that they might not be going home that night or they might be the next scapegoat. It's, it's a no-win scenario. You yeah. can't win. You can't. It's a catch-22. That, that is the butt answer that catch you can't. That's why so many yeah. of them are retiring. Yeah, if you do your job, you're screwed. If you don't do your job, you're screwed. Whatever you do, man. So just be safe. That's the. That's really all I have to say to our, our brothers and sisters. Be safe. Uh and you know what? Every single one of you out there, um, you know, with that badge, you're you're a hero. You really are, because I can't even imagine doing the job you're doing right now with the uh, the adversity you're facing in the media and the politics. And you're truly heroes. But we have a special hero that we always like to talk about. And who better to talk about that than Jason? Well, and I'm proud to say we're finally going to, because you always make fun of Florida. I do. <laughs> I love Florida so it much. It makes it fun and of I'm itself. And I'm finally going to enlighten something to florida okay. and it, you okay. know what you and got th- florida's back this is a perfect example of why the mayors of brookline's brooklyn center and the rashida Talibs absolutely need to shut the fuck up and this is a perfect example of why law enforcement is exists so and does what they do deputies saved a woman who was being chased at gunpoint by her estranged boyfriend this happened in flagler county the sheriff's office received a 911 call from a woman stating that she had received multiple threatening text messages from her estranged boyfriend, Aaron Thayer. When deputies arrived at the victim's home, she showed them the text. According to the deputies, the texts were very graphic and threatening in nature and making her fear for her life. The victim told deputies that Thayer was in Connecticut at the time, so a safe distance many states away. Think. You would hope. <laughs> um, but... She did believe that he was on his way back to Florida to kill her. Thayer had installed security cameras on her home Whoa. to keep tabs on her, and he, he, he even pointed out to her where the blind spots were. This guy, uh, a complete oh. psycho. According to the deputies, while they were there speaking to the victim, he was still actively sending text messages to her. Fast forward a day later... After having obtained a warrant for his arrest on these threatening messages, I mean, they were that bad that he a warrant was issued for his arrest. Deputies went on Saturday to check on her house multiple times. Just after 3 p.m., she called 911 and told dispatcher that Thayer was there trying to break in with a tire iron. After forcing his way through the back door of the house, Thayer again, in person, threatened to kill her. He went into the bedroom took $400 and a firearm that was on the woman's nightstand, cocked it, and began chasing after her. She ran out of the house with him chasing her. Deputies had her hide behind the patrol car as they confronted Thayer and attempted to take him into custody. And, of course, he he resisted. And to their credit, they did not use deadly force. They tased him. And took him into custody. Too bad. Along with the hand. Exactly. They should have killed him. <laughs> I'm uh, handgun and a folding knife were found on him. Uh, he told the victim he was going to kill her. And less than 24 hours later, he drove all the way from Connecticut to do just that. We are always such a nation of reactive instead of proactive. And this could have been another cautionary tale of doing, of locking the gate after the horse gets stolen. You can't, you, you have to believe if somebody says I'm going to kill you, you have to take that take him for serious the word. and you have to do something 
and they about did. it. And these deputies, and did. these deputies yeah. did. And he is in jail and probably will be for a very long time. She is safe, safe for now. And this is exactly what cops do this is every day. Work. And this is why they are so important in this nation. Otherwise, it is just going to be the purge. It's, nonstop. It's so dumb for any politician to to degrade, want to defund and dismantle police because that is what's happening that you don't know about. Exactly. The, the few mistakes and yeah. their horrible mistakes are truly, truly, uh, you know, drop in the ocean to the three hundred million contacts police officers make. It's dumb. It's dumb to say something <laughs> stupid. It, yes. And speaking of dumb. Uh-oh. We my now best have friend. a dumb, my best friend. dumb, dumb de Blasio report. All right. From infamously killing a groundhog during a Groundhog Day photo op to his ludicrous COVID-19 sex safety tip, declaring that anal sex is a better and safer way of having sex on the city's website, we now have this from dumb de Blasio. Mayor Bill de Blasio's office said the mayor is, quote, having too much fun celebrating reopenings and riding rides and he called out all those who worry about the 50% rise in shootings as wet blankets. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm serious. You, you heard right. Mayor Jeez. Bill de Blasio's office responded to the mounting criticism about the staggering rise in crimes, the massive homelessness, and the rampant business closures with a statement that read in part, quote, New York City is winning and all you wet blankets are losers. <laughs> <laughs> this is just real. And he's loser this number one. This is real. It gets worse, believe it or not. You quote, you can't bring us down. Stop rooting against our comeback. It's un-American, unpatriotic, and lame. This is coming from Bill de Blasio, who changed his name because his dad was a hero. I say Patriot. one of the most un-American people <laughs> in the country you. is Thank calling you. other people And the most lame human being on the planet. As city crime rates continue to skyrocket out of control and the police are defunded to a breaking point, the once shining city is stuck with a mayor who not only refuses to recognize the violence in the city, but it's his mistakes that are doing it. To recap, Mayor de Bill de Blasio, you have denigrated police by standing with the violent BOM mob, deplorably empowered lawlessness over law and order. You've demanded tax dollars to pay for vigilante programs. These are all real. He's disbanded over 600 cops from anti-crime units. He's defunded the police department $1 billion with a B. He's defense no bail with a revolving jail door for criminals. Uh, he's destroyed the city's budget while paying his wife millions for silly, stupid programs. Uh, he's directed citizens to place themselves in harm's way during a crime instead of calling the police. And now he spends his time riding amusement park rides while saying he's having, quote, way too much fun while ignoring the citizens who are being overrun by murders, gangs, and general lawlessness. Mayor Bill de Blasio, a.k.a. Warren Wilhelm Jr., you have single-handedly transformed the Big Apple into a rotten one. You, sir, are a dumbass. I need to get a special sound effect just for that segment that says uh, either you suck or you are a dumbass. Listen, there could literally yeah. be a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week podcast titled Bill de Blasio, You Are a Dumbass. dumbass. And it would never, <laughs> he, you would never have to tell the same story twice. And even when he retires, even when he retires and goes away, he won't go he, away. He he'll won't, never, he, thank Aaron, you. he's never going away. Exactly. He'll never always away. be a dumb Bill de Blasio yeah, reporter. He's never going away. Yeah. Inspire um, me, my friend, please. Yeah, you know, this, uh, this week's inspirational message is also a heroic headline, but this definitely does should inspire people 
not to don't discount the difference that you can make Thank you. in this world. And I know that our friends Kenzie and Holly for Crime Holics, Crime Holics, we they, love them. If, it, yes, and if they, there's a lot of true crime podcasts out right now, and these people are making a huge difference. And it's guess, one of the best. And guess who's the most thankful for that? Law enforcement officers, absolutely. Cold case detectives. They crime care stoppers. and they want to solve it. This is about the Kristen Smart case. I watched an incredible documentary on this. Uh, the suspects were were known 25 years ago. Um, just not enough proof. But it took it took just a a guy with a you know a curiosity about the case and a to, mic to, and a microphone to just simply talk about it. Kristen Smart in 1996. She was a 19 year old student at Cal Poly State University in San Luis Obispo. She disappeared after going to a party. Chris Lambert, not the suspect, this is the podcast host, uh, he released his first episode of the podcast called Your Own Backyard, because that's where he lives. In September of 2019, he did this, but he never expected the popularity and the impact the series would have to solve crimes. Your Own Backyard put a new focus on the Kristen Smart investigation, put it in the public eye, and back within the San Luis Obispo Sheriff's Office. Quote, what I did with the podcast was something that maybe this case really needed. It was suffering from a lack of attention and publicity, and without that, there really wasn't any motivation to solve it. He revealed in his last episode that he had received an anonymous tip, which led the Sheriff's Office to two trucks that belonged to family members, Paul Flores and his father. They said at a news conference just on Tuesday, yesterday, Darren, this just happened. Yeah. That Paul Flores, 44 now, so 26 years ago, he yes. was 18 years old. 18 years old. And he was arrested, charged with the murder. His father was charged with uh, hiding evidence, obstruction of justice because, fact. Yeah, because yeah. of the, Helping. Yeah. the truck. Um, and that guy's 80 now, which kind of makes me sad that he won't suffer the... I mean, he's 80. He, he doesn't give a shit. He's going to be dead soon. I was wondering where you're going with that. Yeah, you're right. Um, but back to the part of the problem in our country, bail was set at 250 grand. Oh, are that's, you, that's are ridiculous. You, are you kidding me right yeah. now? So they're going to post 25 grand if they have it and get out and either flee or kill somebody else. Um, but through Lambert's interviews, listeners send in tips and... He does a lot more cases to provide exposure to cold cases. It is called, called Your Own Backyard, Chris Lambert. You are definitely... And we did last week with a crime. You are definitely cold an ins cases. inspiration and a hero. Uh, Kenzie, Holly, everybody, everybody out there who yes. is doing true crime podcasts simply because you care about people that you don't even know. You are helping police and you are helping families do not stop what you're doing. You are a true inspiration. You are heroes. Keep doing what you're it's doing. It's a new extension of Crime Stoppers. It's oh my beautiful. God. It's, it, Keep it, it up. Well, yeah, I know this is very I near and dear this. to your heart. And they're doing they're doing it for for free. They're All doing the it for, right out of out of they love. Care. I love it. And, and, I love it. And, and I gotta do, say so. something because our girls, Holly was actually I'm saying Yeah, she was actually saying that they don't they're just a little fish in the huge pond. I'm they're like, not. you don't you don't get it. Yeah. It's just a place that you're giving people no, a they voice. Are, they are they those girls yes. are badasses. Exactly. I mean, they, they love, them. Yeah. love them. A lot. I love those two. Chris Lambert, way and to they go. Give people hope. 
Yes. So outstanding show. And guess what, everybody? We will do it again next week. And oh my I'm God, I love sure it. it will be just as fiery as always. God bless all of you. Stay safe. And we'll see you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys. Heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.